to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Today's scripture is found in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in the Blue Pew Bible. That's page 967. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 9 of chapter 8. <clears throat> this is the very word of God. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich." The Word of God. Let us ask the Lord to bless us as we study His Word together. Lord Jesus, we thank You that we are in the new covenant in which You put Your law in our hearts. We thank You in this new covenant that Christ gives us a new commandment that as He has loved us, so we should love one another. We thank You that our whole life is rooted in the grace and goodness and glory of Jesus Christ. United to Him, Lord, we are able to pour forth by Your mercy more and more of that character that He exhibited on the cross. Lord, may it manifest itself in the way we deal with our possessions. For Your name's sake, amen. Elders had asked me, what was I preaching on next? And I said, giving. And they said, oh, no. <laughs> I thought after the tongue we would get a little relief. Um, and now you're going to giving. So, uh, therefore, it's good that our first point is the source of their giving, which is the grace of God. The source of their giving. Giving is a tough issue. It's an issue like evangelism that tends to make us feel guilty. And I pray that it would 
cause in us as we study this passage and the ones to follow a joy that overflows. You know, this is the passage that uh, John Piper uses to demonstrate what love is and how love operates. It's the passage that he brings, out of which he brings the, the basic definition that love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. Joy is the overflow of our joy. Uh, love is the overflow of our joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. And so, as you think about giving, just connect it with love. It's no different than love. It's just an aspect of love. It's, it's the way love expresses itself, and it's the way our joy in God will express itself. It will express itself in our giving. And this passage certainly brings us to that. But you notice how he begins telling us, basically, this is a description of the grace of God. Let me tell you about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He is the source of this grace. This uh, passive verb, was given, understood by God. And so, though we are hearing what the Macedonians did in such a radical, wonderful way, we're simply seeing another testimony of God's grace, another evidence of His working in people's lives. So, this will not happen apart from His grace working in us. It, we are entirely dependent upon His grace. We, will, we may give for all kind of reasons. We may uh, give with all kind of motives. We will not give like this apart from the grace of God. But the flip side of that, when the grace of God is working in our lives, it will look something like this. It will look something like this because at the very... We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 this morning, but the very last phrase is, they did all of this by the will of God. So the grace of God enabled them to do the will of God. God was pleased in the way this looked and what happened in their lives. So uh, let's take an encouragement from what God will do, but let's realize, wow, when God works in my heart, there will be this joy that overflows in this amazing generosity. This word grace begins this two-chapter section. Verses uh, Chapters 8 and 9 are one of the greatest sections on giving in the whole of the New Testament. And you'll notice at the beginning and the end, verses 4 and 15, 14 and 15 of chapter 9, grace is underscored. So as one commentator says, it's kind of like grace cradles this whole passage about giving. It's grace from beginning to end. Uh, grace is the key word here in uh, and describing their, their giving. So this generosity was not sustained by browbeating of some pastor. It was not sustained by psychological manipulation. Uh, like the time Kay and I were uh, taking some prisoners, helping to take prisoners to uh, an evangelist, a traveling evangelist. He was a former nightclub guy, okay? And uh, I won't imitate his version of his eyes on the sparrow. But get me alone sometime and I'll show you that. <clears throat> as much falsetto as I still have at my age. But um, he had a guy come out and 
he's, he began by saying, now, we're going to do something for God. We're going to do something. This is not a gimmick. This is not a gimmick. But I want everybody to get your change out. Everybody get your change out. Okay, everybody around, you know, pulling out their change. This is not a gimmick. This is not a gimmick. Now, we're going to make a gift to Jesus. We're going to make a gift to Jesus. Now, before we make a gift, we need to wrap it in that green wrapping paper. So would everybody pull out some green wrap, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that's as crass as it gets right there. I hope. I hope. You see, there was, there was no browbeating. There was no manipulation. In fact, as we'll see with the Macedonians, there was no request. They were so poverty-stricken, apparently Paul was not even going to ask them to give. Like of all people, you all don't need to give because you're probably as bad off as the Jerusalem people are. And that's what this gift was for, is for the, the poor saints in Jerusalem. And maybe next week we'll have a little time to explain that situation in Jerusalem a little bit. But that's what this gift was for. It's spoken of several times in Paul's epistles. It was going to be a great gift from the Gentiles back to the mother church to demonstrate the unity of God's people. But with these people, he didn't even ask. They were the ones asking. And so this grace of God manifests itself in this joyful generosity, a lavish generosity, which we'll see was beyond their means. It was of their own free will. They were begging for the privilege. They gave themselves as as well as their possessions in the worst of circumstances. That's how the grace of God looks. We really need to shake ourselves here and, and think... I mean, in the worst of circumstances, they're under persecution. They don't have any money themselves. And they lavished in their generosity upon the people of God. That's what the grace of God does. And it brings about the will of God. This pleasing, fragrant aroma. Another time, he was speaking to the Macedonians, writing to the Macedonians in the letter of Philippians. See, Philippians, Thessalonians, those are Macedonian churches. So you can read about Macedonia by reading those letters. Well, in Philippians, speaking about another gift, he says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So their offering was an act of worship. And what's interesting about that language is Ephesians 5 uses this language to describe Christ. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Isn't that amazing? It makes you tremble to think, wait a minute, the same words you would use to describe Christ offering himself up on the cross, you would use to describe our gifts a fragrant offering lifted up to God that pleases Him. And that's what they were offering. They really were giving their hearts away. They're giving their lives away in the joy and freedom that they had. Even in the worst of circumstances, they gave so generously. So the source of their giving was the grace of God and how that grace operated. And don't we need to ask the question, 
what's barring the grace of God in my life? And some of you maybe don't give to the church or give very meagerly or don't even think about it. Well, that's not a sign of the grace of God in your life. It's just not a sign of His grace. It's not a sign of your having tasted of the cross and seen the giving of Christ and then out of gratitude and joy over Him, lost in in His beauty, you naturally spend yourself for others. And part of that expenditure is that you give your possessions as well. It's like John said in 1 John chapter 3. And he says that uh, he, he gave himself... Well, let me read. I usually have it in my head, but I choked right before the congregation. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You see, the point being... God's love showed itself in that He laid down His life. So how can that love of God be in my heart when I'm not even giving my possessions, much less laying down my life? See? Like, God's love acts that way. It spins itself. And so if I will not even spend my possessions, and I'm going to hold them to myself... That's a sign. There's a problem with my experience of God's grace. Maybe it's self-righteousness. Maybe it's unbelief of some kind, pride, whatever. But it's not an entrusting of myself joyfully to Him and receiving Him and manifesting that in the way I spend myself for others. It's a matter of loving others, and I love them with even my possessions. So there's the source of their giving. It's God's grace. Then the circumstance of their giving. We have mentioned this because you can't disconnect them. But the circumstance of their giving, he says, verse 2, in a severe test of affliction. In a severe test of affliction. If you read Thessalonians and you also read the uh, section in Acts 17 that talks about Paul's visit to that area, there was much persecution that went on among the church. Both when Paul was there and after he left, there was persecution. And this, this is already a very poor section known for its poverty, and it was exacerbated by the persecution. So the destitution was even worse because of uh, the, the persecution. And so it's described this severe test of affliction, and the word is extreme poverty. Their extreme poverty. The word there, bathos, is used in a word we use for the bathometer. Anybody know what a bathometer is? Measuring the depth of the ocean. So the word has to do with depth. And so it means poverty down to the depths. Poverty at the deepest. Or as C.K. Barrett says, he translates it, rock bottom poverty. You just think about this. They're being persecuted. They're in the midst of tribulation. And they have rock-bottom poverty. Isn't it interesting that the grace of verse 1 didn't prevent the persecution and the rock-bottom poverty of verse 2? So much for the health and wealth gospel. 
the blasphemy, the blasphemy that these people must not have been believing God because they didn't have wealth. God was obviously not taking care of them. They must have prayed for it, but they didn't believe enough, and so they're still poverty-stricken. God forbid that such words were ever said on American soil or any other soil, ever said in the name of Christ. Paul is exalting their faith. He is commending the grace of God that manifested itself in them, particularly that there was this overflowing, as it describes, an overflowing of joy in the midst of rock-bottom poverty, in the midst of affliction, that poured forth an abundance, overflowing generosity. Now, the overflowing generosity doesn't mean that it's not... Literal light, well, in rock-bottom poverty, somehow they gave riches and riches, you know. It means, figuratively, they were incredibly generous in their situation. And isn't that the Lord Jesus himself manifested in their hearts? In his absolute brokenness on the cross, the generosity and love that showed forth on the cross... When he was at his weakest, his most destitute, under the wrath of of the Father for our sake, persecuted, afflicted, mistreated, unjustly, and in the midst of that, he poured forth love. And here you have it replicated in the people of God. It's wonderful, as I referred to uh, John 13 Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And it's kind of like the cocoon of all the commandments of the Old Testament, you know, form into the chrysalis and they break forth into this glorious butterfly of love one another as I have loved you. And we just constantly look to Christ and his love manifests itself in every way and finally in the most glorious way on the cross itself. And that's our law. That's our commandment. All lines of character and obedience lead back to the Lord Jesus as he gave himself. And these people were lost in that love of Christ and then manifested that love of Christ. Because earlier Paul speaks of this when he says in chapter 5, the love of Christ controls us as it controlled the Macedonians, so that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Him. That's what the Macedonians were doing. The Council of Nicaea, uh, called by Constantine in 325 A.D., was just 12 years after persecution was declared illegal in the Roman Empire by Constantine and Licinius. So, of the 1800 bishops that were called, 300, some say 318, but at least around 300 uh, bishops showed up, many of whom were confessors, confessors who had confessed Jesus Christ in the midst of persecution and torture. The scars of their suffering marked many faces. It is said that Constantine kissed the cheek of one man whose eye had been put out under torture. These were the bishops of the church. 
I defy anybody to look at that group and say, oh, I can see health and wealth. I can see how Jesus brings about health and wealth for his people. You think, just looking at them, does your God not take care of you? Does he not watch out for you? And they all would say, oh, yes, he does. Oh, yes, he does. He draws near to me and he is my life. He is my salvation. He is my glory. I would rather dwell one day in the house of the Lord than in all the years in the tents of the wicked. And we fix ourselves upon the health of the final resurrection, which we know will be ours when all things in this whole creation will be remade. And that is true health and wealth in that final day for sure. And he will uh, lavish us with the riches of his grace forever, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. But you see, the glory that we give Christ is that we're willing to go through anything because he is so good. He is so worthy. We adore him so much. We'll pay anything to belong to him, to, to trust in him, to be more like him, to have more taste of him. We'll lose everything for the sake of Christ. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3 to these Macedonians. I count all things as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. And the Macedonians were living it out. We count all things as loss for the sake of Christ and his people. But be encouraged, brothers and sisters. It's the grace of God that brings this about. We can't make this happen. We can't just snap her. I'm just going to be this way. We say, oh, Lord, save me. Oh, Lord, transform me. Oh, Lord, you've made me new in Christ. Manifest that new life of Christ in my life so that I will look like you, Lord Jesus, in the way I live. So the source of their giving and then the circumstance of their giving and finally, which we've already touched on a lot because these are all connected, the character of their giving. And this is fundamental to our, our title and Kids, I want to ask you a question. You might notice that it says joy plus poverty equals generosity. <laughs> that, that doesn't add up. I know, in any case, I say, here's a, maybe a first grader. I want you to answer this question. What is five plus five? Any first grader give me that answer? Are there any first graders in here? How about third grader? Is a first grader? Five plus five. Ten. All right. Now, what if I said five plus five in God's world equals a hundred? I'd say, what do you mean? Five plus five doesn't equal a hundred. You never could get to a hundred with five plus five. Well, it's the same thing here. Joy plus poverty equals generosity? How does that add up? It doesn't add up. The, the equals, the, what's on the right side seems way bigger than what's on the left side. Of course, unless you realize how the nature of joy, what the nature of joy is. And that explains it all. I love the passage in Matthew 13 where 
Jesus is describing the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is like a man. He finds his treasure hidden in a field. He hides the treasure and then he goes and sells a few things and buys that field. No. Or he goes because he feels obligated. He needs to get that field. No. For joy over the treasure, he sells all that he has to get that field. He said, you want to know a picture of the kingdom of God? There it is. That's the kingdom. That's how it works. They see something that so overjoys them, they sell everything in order to have it. Doesn't that look like, the, doesn't that describe the Macedonians? They had their eye fixed on the joy of Christ himself. The grace of God was working in their hearts. And for joy, there's an overflowing joy in the midst of affliction. Five plus five equals a hundred. God will do for us what we cannot fathom. That's why I love Ephesians 3. He's able to do exceedingly beyond all we ask or think. So you can translate this as exuberant joy and lavish generosity. They've shown themselves lavishly open-handed, the New uh, English Bible says. And it even, he even gives a noun, the wealth of their generosity, to emphasize the lavishness under it. And again, it's like the woman who gave the two pennies in Luke chapter 21. It's not the big amount that's given. It's the way it was given and the sacrifice that is given. These people probably made a pretty small offering all total because they themselves were poverty-stricken. But in God's mind, it was a glorious, it was a great offering. He saw all the people putting in large chunks of money in the treasury, Luke 21. And then he said, did you, did you see that woman? Of course, the disciples didn't see anything. She put in two pennies. That's all she had. He didn't say, hey, that guy put in 50,000. That guy put in 10,000. That guy put in 5,000. Whoa, look how big a gift that was. She put in two pennies. It was all she had. It was that joyful giving of herself away that Christ noticed. And so these words are so these two things are so bound together, the uh, joy and poverty, that they have a singular verb. <laughs> joy and poverty is, is, is how you would put it, just to show that those two things have burst forth in such generosity. And then the rest of the passage points to other things. Uh, in verse 3, they gave according to their means and then beyond their means. They gave to the limit of their resources and beyond that limit, we could say. Not only what they could afford, but far more. You might think, well, I've got to provide for my present necessities and future needs and emergencies. They seem to just disregard these things because of the need that the church had. It says in verse 3, of their own free will, they gave without prompting. It means by free choice, their own initiative, no suggestion by Paul. They then, it says in verse 4, begging us earnestly, with the utmost urgency, with great insistence is what it means. You must, 
It's as though Paul, maybe they heard about it. They had, in fact, they had heard about it, about the offering. And Paul apparently was saying, it's okay, it's okay. We're getting things from other people that can really afford. No, you have to let, well, no, you, you've got so much yourself. You need, no, no, Paul, do you understand me? Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, there's that feel, the insistence that we participate. The, the word for fellowship, kononia. For the favor of taking part of koinonia, we want the fellowship with the people of God by giving to them. We want, we don't want to pass up the opportunity of that fellowship, the favor of that fellowship. Is that how you see giving? I would think not. If you're not giving, you must not see it as the favor. Almost could say the glory and the the, the great honor of having fellowship with the people of God and helping the people of God here and around the world. That's how we see giving. That's what happens when the grace of God is working in people's lives. They see it as a privilege of fellowship. And then finally in verse 5, another aspect of the character is they gave more than just money, but they gave themselves So he was surprised by the amount they gave, and then again he was surprised by the way they gave. They gave themselves to the Lord and and to Paul. Um, And this was, of course, as he says, by the will of God. This was the way God would have them give themselves. So it's interesting that self-surrender to Christ takes precedence over everything else because he says they first gave themselves to the Lord there could be a question mark. Have I given myself to the Lord? Is that why I don't give? I've really never given myself to Christ. I've never entrusted my life completely to Him. I've never said, Lord, I put myself in Your hands to rescue me from sin, to transform me, to forgive me. I belong to You from now on. That was the heart of everything they did. They'd given themselves to Christ. But isn't it interesting? He said they, he gave himself to Christ. He was, had the priority, but they gave themselves to us. You really don't give yourself to Christ if part of that isn't that you give yourself to God's people as well. That's what happens when the grace of God is working in you. You give yourself to Christ and you give yourself to his people. That's why we have those second, the last two questions as we confess. Not only that you see yourself as a sinner and you trust in Christ and promise to obey Christ, but I will support His people and I will promote their purity and peace and I will submit to the care and government of this church. I commit myself to Christ and His people. That's what they did because that was the grace of God in their life and that was the will of God as he says there in verse 5. And so... I urge you, this is why we say it a lot at the uh, time of the offering, but always it's giving of yourself. Giving of yourself. That's what the giving of money should represent, that you give yourself to Him. And would you back up with me, if you're still in Corinthians, but in chapter 4, and we'll end with this. In chapter 5, he has said that 
Christ died, that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for Him. And sometimes we almost think of this as like magic. It's just kind of a magic power that releases us from living for ourselves and we begin to live for Christ. But it has everything to do with how we view Christ. It, it has everything to do with the change that with which we see Him and, and how we love Him before we didn't love Him or <clears throat> we become... We begin to honor Him and we begin to uh, adore Him. We see in Him something that we didn't see before. And that's what changes us, you see. We're, we're transformed, not just like disconnected with the gospel, but through the good news that reveals to us the beauty of Christ. And it, it invades us and transforms us, as Paul describes it in chapter 4 here. <clears throat> he says, if our gospel, verse 3, is veiled... It's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. You see, the light that shines forth from the gospel is the glory of Christ. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And now Paul rehearses what happened in his own life and other Christians' lives For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Genesis 1, has in a similar way, with similar power, shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's a sovereign work of God when the gospel is proclaimed that somewhere in hearing it over a period of time, we begin to perceive the glory and beauty and goodness of Christ we become amazed at Him. Really amazed. Amazed at His love. Amazed at His sacrifice. Amazed at His goodness. Amazed at His holiness and His power. We become enamored with Christ. But it's a miracle because God shines into our hearts. Otherwise, it's very dark in there. Like you've heard me refer to that uh, shoe comic where Skylar, the little bird is at school and he's sitting there at a test and he says, maybe if I just search my mind, I can find the answer. And the last phrase, it says, boy, is it dark in there. <laughs> and that's what any of us looking in our hearts, apart from Christ, boy, is it dark in there. But isn't it glorious that God will shine into our hearts the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, shine into our hearts. Cause us to be enamored with Christ. Cause us, Lord, to have the joy that these people had that overflowed in abundant generosity even though they were at rock-bottom poverty and even though they were in tribulation and persecution. Bless us, Lord, that we will know that joy in Christ. And draw people here who've never tasted that joy. Shine into their hearts, Lord. Shine into their hearts the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ as they continue to seek you. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. 
Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?